Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be here. In fact, at my age, it's nice to be anywhere, really, if I'm being really honest with you. Um, I have a, a problem. You'll, you'll pick it up fairly quickly. Um, I'm kind of the kind of person, I suppose, that doesn't stick to the script. So it was good so far, but who knows where we end up this morning. Um, but I, I wanted to share with you something that I, I, I believe comes from the heart of God to you as a community, actually. Um, and it's an important thing for us to uh, always try and stay in step with the Holy Spirit, don't you think? Have you, have you figured that out, that at least it's good? Has anyone figured that out yet? That without the leading of the Holy Spirit, we just, we just labor in vain, don't we? We just labor in our own vanity. I've never had an applause before I've preached. That's great. That's I'm available next week, actually. <laughs> Should that same person be here? In fact, if you would like to travel with me, I would very much appreciate that kind of support. A um, couple of things to, to kind of just preamble this conversation. The first one is this. There's never been a more important time in the history of the church for us to understand what God is doing in our earth. We want to be like the men of Ishaka who knew the times that they lived in and what God was saying. Now, some of us are very keen to know the times we're living in, but there seems to be a little bit of a deficit in some quarters of the church to understanding the significance of those times. And I think that we're living in exceptional times. They're exceptional times. I, I am 25 years of age. <laughs> and I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. You know, I remember as a kid, just the odd time when we had television as a kid. That's how old I am. I remember the first television set. Uh, just watching the world beyond the world in which I lived and realized there was a whole panoramic view of life from various corners of the globe. People saw things differently. People's cultures presented them with a God that was vastly different sometimes than the God that I uh, understood as a young Catholic boy. And, and more and more and more, we are bombarded with a world view of what's happening around us. And yet, if I was to ask individuals in this room, what is God doing on the earth today? Most people would be a little bit clueless. Strangely, if I was to say, what's the devil up to in your life? You'd have a list of about six things that you already knew. Now, I don't know if you think that is a problem, but I just want to remind you it is a problem. We seem to be more sensitive and orientated to understand what the devil is doing in our world than we are what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. Do you know right now God is at work in your life? He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's doing something wonderful in your life. And um, he's got a plan. And the outworking of that plan is to prosper and to bless you. And for the sake of the, the kind of clarity we need around that statement, prosperity doesn't mean that you get all the wealth of the world. You can have all the wealth of the world and be really impoverished and poor on the inside. The prosperity that we're invited to or that God is working in us to produce is that sense of fullness and blessing and completeness and overflowing regardless of whether we have much or we have little. So he wants to prosper you and he wants to bless you. And while you were sleeping, he was at work. In fact, some of these people around your life that you don't like, he's put them there. 
Sorry, Pastor Andy. He's put them there. <coughs> Purposefully to produce something amazing through the circumstances that you're working through. You see, we have these little phrases in church, but we don't really believe them. All things really do work together for the good of those who love the Lord according to his will and his purpose. So even the worst day of your life has a redemptive purpose in the eyes of God. Even the most incredible crisis that you're going through, there is treasure in the trash to be found and to be discovered. And I say to my church all the time, and it doesn't win me any favor with them, I say, Christians don't have problems. It was all going so well until that point, wasn't it? <clears throat> what we really have is promises. Now, if you are problem-centric, that's your problem. I'm just saying it as I see it. We are so finely tuned to find fault in areas of our lives. We don't find fullness and blessing and the promise to partner with it for God to see his kingdom come in our lives. And you think that's not a tactic of the enemy to keep you detached from the destiny that Jesus Christ is opening up for you. See, after the pandemic, we became very introspective as a people you know, and, and I pastor a church, it's not unlike this one, lots of great people, lots of stories to tell, lots of wonderful things that they're walking through and in with God. But actually, there was a hopelessness and a despair that attached to their life through the very difficult times that people went through. And now they don't dream anymore. They don't see God in all the things that they could have seen God in or maybe could see God in. Their eyes have been inclined to always identify the problem. But you see, we're not people without hope. I'll say it again because some of you didn't catch that. We're not people without hope. And our hope is not in an institution or a government or a king. Well, maybe the king of kings. Our hope is in the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ to overcome all these things that seem to overcome us. That's our hope. It's a, it's a hope. Don't clap. I haven't got time. It's a hope <laughs> that's both steadfast. In other words, it's consistent and sure we can rely upon it. So my question to you today is, do you have any clue what God is doing in your life? And if you don't, I think maybe you should try and find out. Because God is at work in his people to produce a bride for the bridegroom. Now, if Jesus was to return tonight, and there are some people who say all kind of wonderful things about that, the bride of the church would be more like the bride of Frankenstein than she would the bride of Christ. Okay, because we've bolted on, added on, and done some distortions to the truth of who we are. But... Listen, if a bridegroom is coming, then he wants a bride in direct stature to himself. A couple of years ago, I remember talking to a young man, and uh, there was a whole bunch of ladies around him. He just got married, and they were asking questions. They didn't get to the wedding, and they were saying, what did she wear? He said, it was white. <laughs> no, 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 the lady said. Did she have a tiara? I don't remember. What about the, the bodice? Was the bodice of the dress absolutely spectacular? I don't know. It was white. She looked beautiful. You see, because the man's not interested in the dress. 
He's interested in what's in the dress. Stay with me. Jesus doesn't care about the dress. It's what's in the dress. He's looking for a bride that's breathtaking and spotless and pure in direct stature to the bridegroom. Every man marries up. Pastor. There's a phrase, isn't there, amongst men, you're boxing above your weight. You see, if a man isn't marrying up, he will lose interest very quickly. And so God wants to marry. He wants to be united with a bride that takes his breath away. And right now, in you and in me, he is preparing us for the return of Jesus Christ. Right now. You see, this isn't just ordinary, it's extraordinary. When you have eyes to see what the Spirit is doing and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, you will start to realize that we are on the most spectacular trajectory to the return of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But you're so distracted by what the devil's doing. It's over here, it's over there, look at that, look at this. You have one set of spiritual eyes. Fix them on Jesus, for he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And in these difficult times, the church should not be paralyzed. It should be energized, because this is the truth. He's nearer than he's ever been. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not coming tonight. I've seen some of you. You're not ready. Pastor, you're not ready. I'm, I'm not ready. But I know it won't be long. Maybe my daughter will see. Maybe my granddaughter might see the return of Jesus Christ. So what is God doing in the church? Let me take you to a scripture that's so familiar to you, it's become over familiar. Is that okay? It comes from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. There are two trains of thought when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Oh, I didn't see you up there. There are two trains of thought when it comes to the Holy Spirit. One is, I believe, a false understanding of the sovereignty of God. And that is, it doesn't really matter what I do, it'll all pan out in the end. Now, you've gone quiet because some of you have adopted that philosophy. I call that Peter Pan theology, thinking it'll all pan out in the end. No, that isn't the sovereignty of God. That isn't what is on offer to us. The other is that I must have and continue to do something to create something. And both of those particular postures create problems for us in our walk with Jesus. You can't make what God wants to see happen in your life happen by human effort. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. Amen. Listen to this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on until it's completed. You know, to be really honest with you, we're pretty clueless about how it all works. Okay, so your human effort, apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Your human effort on its own is not enough. And you waiting around for God to do something and it'll all pan out in the end is not enough. And this is why, because God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. 
And throughout the scriptures, you will see over and over again that God chose a people, moved upon a people, spoke to a people, brought deliverance to a people, gave hope to a people. And through those interactions, those fellowship interactions with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, those people started to change the world around them. They started to be transformed themselves, and then they had the power to transform those around us. Some of us in this room have been waiting for God to move for 40 years. And when it comes to revival, we do have a tendency to think like that. Oh, do something, God. God will say back at you, you do something. You see, because God works with you. He works with you. And the goal is to show you his kingdom and to reveal his nature and his character. And if you're waiting on God to move, okay, don't be passive in that waiting. Don't be a Peter Pan theologist. Ask God, what can I do today to partner with you to see your kingdom formed and fashioned in me and through me in the days that lie ahead. Don't wait for some form of deliverance. You've already been delivered. Don't wait for some form of permission. You have been given permission. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Stop waiting around for somebody to give you promotion. You have been promoted. You were once not a people. Now you are a people. We're waiting around for something to happen and all that time is being wasted because God wants to accelerate what he's doing in our lives and he does that through our partnerships. But if we don't know what he's doing, we can't work with him to see it come to pass. Am I making myself clear? And then the others who think they can provoke the Holy Spirit to move, well, there are some evidences of that. I don't know if you know the story of the wedding at Cana. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it teaches me something about faith that I had never seen before. Now, you know the story. The wine runs out and um, the disciples come to Mary because she knows she's got an insider kind of track to Jesus. And, and they say, can you get him to do something? And so she brings the disciples to Jesus. And, and if, if this was my mother, I have an Irish mother. She would have walloped me. Okay. If this is my mother... Uh, Jesus said, woman, woman, my time has not yet come. In other words, God's timing in all things is important, and it's not the right time for me to display my glory just yet. And Mary ignores what Jesus says and says to the disciples, go and get the vessels. Now, that kind of faith is really important in these days. Do you know we are waiting for God to move on us and God is waiting for us to move God. You can move God, but how did Mary do that? Through intimacy. She knew Jesus. She knew his nature. She raised him. In Ireland, we call that read him. She read him. She knew all about him and she knew he would not let that problem pass without trying to resolve it. What is God up to in your world? Are you waiting on him? Is he waiting on you? What fruit of the spirit is he trying to develop in you as we speak? What part of the plan is unfolding that you can't see? And being passive and Peter Panish about that will mean you will wait forever and never see the fullness of of what God has for you. It's not all going to work out in the end. Just because you come to church or tithe or read your Bible, God has subjected the advances of his kingdom 
to the partnerships he has with his people. Have I made that statement clear enough for everybody? So let's look at what that partnership really looks like. Second Chronicles. I should have brought my glasses. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, that I will hear from heaven and I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. Second Chronicles chapter 7, sorry, verse 14. So let me, let me talk you through why I think this is something that we should engage with in regard to the now time we're living in. I sat in the Ealing Conference about three years ago, and um, I'm listening to all of these wonderful people say all of these wonderful things. Don't you find that Christian leaders talk a lot? Have you found that to be true? I mean, they may be born introverts, but somehow by the power of the Spirit, that has changed. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of us talk a lot is because not we've got a lot of good things to say, that may be the truth, okay, but we're trying to fill some space because we're uncomfortable with the gap. And and as long as we're uncomfortable with the gap, we'll never embrace its opportunity, which is for it to be filled with God's glory. Amen? So we just fill the air with words. And it was one of those moments, and I'm sure you probably feel a bit like that now. Just words. What's the words all about? And you've sat in enough meetings, as I have, to know that it's going to take a lot more than words to change the world. In stark contrast to those examples, Jesus hardly said anything. Woman, be loosed. Now, if that was me, I would have gone through generational curses. I would have I would have talked about all the wonderful things that I knew about freedom and liberty. You've all done it, haven't you? That's why you're laughing. To the man who was lame, get up and walk. All right, Jesus, could you just elaborate a little bit more on that? Should he stumble as he starts? Should he run like a gazelle? What will it look like, Jesus? If that was a preacher, there would have been a 14-minute explanation on how that worked. And I was watching myself in the inclusion of that. Lots of words I was saying to God, where is the power? Where is the power, God? Do you ever ask that question? Where is the power? And as I'm watching what is so familiar to me, which is many people saying many things in an environment that's incredibly stoked with information, I began to realize that if we're not careful, we are substituting words for the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't like the gap and we fill in all the spaces just in case God doesn't come. Shabbat. And so God drew me to this scripture. And I'm going to share maybe four things that I think the Holy Spirit is doing in the church in preparation for all that he wants to see come to pass. 
And these four things produce the one thing that we're all hoping, believing, and trusting God for. And it's the final part of that particular sentence. I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. Now, pause for a moment. Is that not what we want? As you and I look out on the world around us, is there not the greatest need ever in humanity for the power of the Holy Spirit to be poured out on our barren land? Is there not a moral climate that's absolutely petrifyingly broken in our society? Is there not a sense of adversity just about every step that humans take? There's some conflict resolution necessary, some navigating of different environments and cultures. We're living in the most exceptional times. And the only answer is not a better government. The only answer is that by the power of his spirit, he would come. By the power of his spirit, he would come. Say it again. Yes. Yes. Come on. Where are you people? Yes. We want, we need, and without this reality, we are just playing our games. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Does Darby need another cinema? Or even another church. Does Derby need a better mayor? Probably. I don't know anything about your city, but if it's any like ours, you do. Does Derby need some infrastructure put in to make people who are living in poverty a little bit more hopeful or expectant? Absolutely. But unless the Lord builds the house he wants to build, all of that is just human vanity thinking that we can put a sticking plaster on humanity and that somehow all of that pain and all of that sin and all of that brokenness and all of that lack will somehow disappear. No, it won't. Unless the Lord moves in Derby, we are laboring in vain. We want revival. Hang on. We want revival. Sorry, I just wanted to check which way I was facing. We want revival. We need revival. And you know, revival is a normal day to God. Revival is just who God is. He's full of life and full of power and full of glory and full of wonder and full of majesty and full of compassion for people. It's just a normal day, revival. Now, let me help you with revival Revival won't answer all your problems, but it will awaken your soul to life. Revival won't fix all of the anarchy, but it will produce the kind of humanity in the church that rises up hopefully and expectantly and courageously lives beyond their own parameters. Revival is not a sticking plaster. It's simply a revolution that takes part in a human soul And when it collectively gathers momentum, it has the power to transform cities. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 men, not counting women and children, received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And a city was changed, not completely, but fundamentally, by one move of the Holy Spirit. 
One move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I don't know what you think we're doing on a Sunday. I don't know what you think the songs are about or the programs are about. But actually, God's end game is to fill the earth with his glory. God's desire for you is to wake up to his story and stop getting distracted with your story. Because after all, you're only a bit part in a rather large production. You do know that, don't you? I know you're the center of your own universe. And the trinity of me, myself, and I is an obsession to you. But actually, you are called and I am called into a much greater story. From everlasting to everlasting is the love of the Lord. He knows the end before the beginning. We're called into the great and glorious and grand story of the redemption of humanity. And God's goal today for you and for me today, in fact, every day, is that we live in the fullness of his spirit's power. So whatever you think God might be up to in your life, it's not dealing with the neighbor you don't like. It's awakening your soul to life that you may live gloriously free of all of that which seems to hinder because you have a greater reality in you than the world around you. When the Apostle Paul writes those words, greater is he who is in you, he's talking from revival. Not just a theological truth, it's revival. I have noticed, he said, that every place I step, God turns up because greater is he who is in me than anything I face in this world. And so I want to suggest to you, open your eyes to that truth. That invitation is available to God's people right now. He wants to fill the earth with his glory. Can you imagine Sainsbury's? Do any of us shop in Sainsbury's? Do you? You're posh people here, are you? Posh people. Filled with the glory of God. Imagine our schools and our colleges and our universities filled with the glory of God. Imagine such an atmosphere over the city of Derby that people who are living in abstract poverty walk out of their cargo box that morning and the glory of God fills their heart with hope in spite of their circumstances. You have too small a view of what God wants to do. And God has greater plans than you or I could ever imagine, think, or ask about. And it's going to take a realignment of our perspective away from me, myself, and I towards the one who is the king of kings, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the glory that we're all hoping for. And we will start to have an expansive view on what God wants to do in our city. Not just great meetings in the church because we sing the right songs. Or the pastor doesn't talk for too long, so we're all relieved in Jesus because our chicken dinner has been calling our name for the last 40 minutes. None of that nonsense, because that's the soul dominating your life. A time will come in this house when people will be queuing around that door to get in on what God is doing. It's coming to you. It's coming to Derby. It's coming for Derby. And it's coming from the Lord Almighty. And it's just a normal day for him. Just a normal day for him. Anybody excited about that reality? So how do we get there? What's the strategy? And this scripture reveals it to us, actually. He says, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves 
turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. You see, if I'm not living with that end in sight, I will not be living with clarity about what the spirit wants to do in my life. So if my people, one of the greatest things the enemy has sought to do in the church is to steal the identity of God's children. You see, when God says my people, he's not just talking about ownership. He's talking about affiliation and connection to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's talking about us being all that we were created to be before sin had broken down our capacities to understand, see, or even entertain what God wants to do. If my people, and God is inviting us to move away from fractured identity into the reality that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You see, you have had identity theft so long now, you have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten what he said. You have forgotten what he declared over your life. You once were not a people, but now you are a people. A holy people set apart for the glory of God. You see, if I live under any other auspices regarding my identity, I am living in an inferior reality. I am a son of the Most High God. Hallelujah. I might even have a little sip of water to celebrate That truth and reality. What you believe about you is really important. Do you know there's no other agency in the world where God has deposited his authority to bring transformation and revival and restoration to than the church. Listen to these words. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word and my church will remain. You are carriers of hope for nations. You have an authority that can destroy the works of the enemy. <sighs> Some of you are frightened of the devil and he's petrified of you. You know the devil is just a mouse with a megaphone, don't you? <laughs> Jesus even said about the whole thing, it's finished. The war is over. It's over. Stop being distracted. That's all he's got left. He distracts you with all manner of things. Let me give you one he's distracting you with, just how rotten you really are. That can't be a surprise to you. I mean, we've hung around you for a few weeks and I've picked it up. If you go looking for dirt, you'll find it. See, here's what we do. We were called to live in kingdom abundance, but we have been distracted by sin avoidance. We're always looking to get out of something when we've already been brought into something. Do you think your problem is a surprise to God? Do you think he didn't know? Do you think the day he got saved he was going, oh, I'm not sure, because I know in four years' time that's going to happen. Hang on, guys, you want to have a chat about this? What do you think? He knows the end before the beginning. He knows what you're like, and he still came and lived inside of you. He's living inside of you as I speak. And the devil has been trying to steal the identity of the church. Here's another way he steals it. Not just through shame or a preoccupation with sin, but actually we have started to believe the publicity of the world that we are irrelevant. 
And here's what we try to do with that little label. We try to be relevant. I'm going to write a book one day on the irrelevance of relevance. Because you were never called to be relevant. What does relevant mean? The same as others. You were called to be peculiar. Some of you had a head start before you knew Jesus. You're not called to be relevant. You're meant to stick out, not stand in, not hide inside. You're meant to be obvious to the world. A light. Salt. Come on. We need to stop being ashamed of who we are. Because Jesus is not ashamed of who we are. We need to walk in confidence, not arrogance. Walk with humility before a God, independency of his power and his glory. And say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's true humility, by the way. Some of us in this room, oh, I can't do, don't use me, Jesus. But you're all he's got, so get over yourself, please. Just move past you for a minute, please. We've all been waiting 40 years sometimes. Just move past you and focus your attention on him who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. So all of this stuff around identity, it's huge. And because the devil has stolen it from us, we're not walking with God the way God has created us or called us or equipped us to walk. We are so preoccupied with our lack, we fail to see how great he truly is. If my people who are called by my name. So we've got an issue with identity. Here's the second issue we've got, and they're interrelated. When God says we're called by his name, he's talking about authority. What if I was to tell you that you have authority already to cast down devils and to raise the dead? I mean, you don't need to even know to go on a course for it. Because I know that's what we think discipleship is, don't we, in the West? Another course. Some of us have been on so many courses, we're alphaholics. We've been through all of this and all of that and all of the other. This course, that course, all the other. Here's what you need to do. Know who you are by the grace and the mercy of God. I am who I am by the grace and the mercy of God. And that takes a lifetime to discover because you don't know who you are because the world's told you who you are. And you've got to undo some things so that God can restore some things. You know, it was he who knitted you together in your mother's womb. He fashioned you in his image. If anyone knows who you really are, it's God. Not Oprah. Not Rihanna. Not Beyonce. And certainly not Michael Bublé. None of them. None of them know who you are. You don't know who you are. The person that's married to you has no clue who you are. There is only one who knows who you are. And every stitch was fashioned and formed in love and from love. You are made in his image. Out of love he created you. For love he created you. Through love he will use you. There is only one who knows you. And it's not you, you plonker. It's not you. Is that the Holy Spirit trying to stop me? I think it was, wasn't it? Your identity is your priority. 
Now, this is not self-absorption. This is allowing God to reform and reestablish in us our truest selves before all of that brokenness, pain, and sin began to misshape who we truly are. The work of the Spirit in the church right now is to raise up a people who know who they are. You have an identity fashioned by God. You have an authority given to you by God. Go into all the world, Jesus said. Don't keep it to yourself. If you want to know what you carry, give it away. Give it away. You will never know what you carry till you give it away. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, on the day of his baptism, was commissioned by God and called by the same Spirit into the desert. Now, just prior to this experience, the Father opens the heavens and he says these words over his Son. This is my beloved Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And as he goes into his desert experience, what does the devil come to tempt him with? His identity, his authority, and his destiny. If you want to know what you carry, don't keep it in the church. Go out into the world and start mixing with people who challenge you. Some of you are nicer than Jesus. And there's no fruit of the Spirit called respectability. Get over yourselves. It's not there. We are meant to be courageous disciples because we know who we are and we know that we carry the answer to some of the difficulties and problems that exist in our society. That's not arrogance, that's servanthood. I once was praying for a lady and uh, I didn't want to pray for her because I didn't feel good enough to pray for her. Have you ever felt like that? You know, she came to the front, she got cataracts on her eyes, she was... A, a very elderly lady, and um, so I put our best kind of ministry person onto her, Marion, mighty Marion. You pray for her, Marion. All under the guise of liberating and releasing women into ministry. So Marion prayed, and this lady thanked her, and she went around the circle and came back to the other end. I thought, what's that all about, Jesus. Who is better than mighty Marion? Prophetic Pauline. Prophetic Pauline. Prophetic Pauline was like a prophetic machine gun. Pauline. Pauline. Thank you. So Pauline goes over and she's... I mean, the woman was torn apart by prophecy. And I think, that's that done. Thank you, Jesus. I'm praying for somebody with a bad leg. I'll do, that'll do me. Just a bad leg, Jesus. This woman had cataracts on her eyes. And she comes back around again. I think, you're having a jaff, you are. You are having a jaff. What is wrong with you, woman? And she says to the person who's about to pray for her, I want the pastor to pray for me. And as I'm stepping down, there was two steps like this. I'm thinking, I repent, I repent, I repent. Forgive me, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus. Put my hand on her hand because I'm now exposed. The gap was great. Okay, And I'm saying to God, please, Jesus, forgive me. And God said to me, you don't think I'm going to heal her because you're good, do you? Really, Jesus? He said, I only heal people because I'm good. But I, I oh yeah, yeah, pastor, yeah. But don't tell me you don't do the same thing. You see, that's a preoccupation with a sense of lack. 
So I put my hand on her, and this is what God told me. Spit in her eyes. I hate spitting. She's an old lady. I'm an ex-Irish Catholic. My mother would have turned in her grave. The whole thing was wrong. So I tilted her head after absolute discussion and disagreement with the Holy Spirit. I said, lift your chin a little. <laughs> it's like a movie that's gone bad, you know. And I go, And it starts to dribble down her wrinkled old face. I am horrified. Mighty Marion is like, prophetic Pauline. <laughs> the whole thing is a sham. And then she starts crying. I thought, I would, I would cry. When you cry if somebody spat in your face. And I said, are you okay? I'm so sorry. She said, don't apologize, pastor. I can see. I can see. I can see. Don't apologize, pastor. I can see. If you don't know who you are, you won't do what you're called to do. It just will not happen. You will always second guess, question, and never step out into the place that God invites you to, where the gap looks great and you feel very inadequate, but he comes in power and he comes in glory and he rewrites a story for an old lady who thought her life was finished because she couldn't see. You do believe in miracles in Derby, don't you? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, I don't need to explain that, and see, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Let me tell you what that scripture is saying. It's not talking about porn addiction. Okay? It's not talking about the headline sins. It's talking about an indifference. And you see, when you've been around this a long time, like I have, you can just become a little bit jaded. Now, I'm not talking to you, but for the benefit of your friend who couldn't make it today. This is not a time to live in disappointment. Because you have an appointment waiting for you. And your disappointment will disappoint you from your appointment. And your appointment is to be a son and daughter of the Most High God. And to demonstrate his nature and his character in bringing life into any context that you find yourself in. Whether it's the woman with the cataracts on her eyes or your friend over the garden fence or somebody at work who comes in with a long face and it's not a usual look, okay? Because some people are, well. So you have been placed there by God as a kingdom carrier, as a son, daughter, carrying an authority to change the outworking for that individual's life. But if you're distracted if you're more concerned about what the devil's doing, if you're more preoccupied with the trinity of me, myself, and I, you're not coming to God with an openness to receive and to hear for him to pour out his spirit upon your life. The greatest enemy to all of us is busyness. And I love this song. It should be a chorus I'm busy doing nothing, working the whole day through, trying to find lots of things not to do. I'm busy going nowhere, isn't it just a crime? I'd like to be in revival. 
was a big note, wasn't it? <laughs> but I simply don't have the time. All it takes is for the devil to keep you preoccupied with your life and your stuff and your problems and your responsibilities. That's all it takes because you can't be available to two spiritual forces at the same time. You have to choose to seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. So God is working in his church to restore our identity, which had been stolen for a long time, to remind us of the authority that he's placed upon our lives, to teach us what true humility looks like, which is not a disinterest in the things of the Spirit or in just religious protocols and procedures that we go through and I come to church and I go back to the life that I was leading before I came to church. This is not business as usual. This is a season for unusual business. And in the space, the gap, I become a treasure hunter. Where are you, Jesus? What are you saying? What are you doing? Thanks for having me. Should we stand?